I remember a Starfleet crew visited. They were all so different from one another. So many crew members from so many planets. It was beautiful. I thought, if all those people from all those worlds can work together side by side, maybe I could too. Maybe I could be a part of something bigger than myself. Starfleet is not a perfect organization, but it strives to be, and I believe it could be. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me on trial for genetic modification is Bill Woywad. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we'll be sharing a recap of the second episode of the second season of Strange New Worlds, Ad Astra Per Aspera. And as always, follow us on social media at Strange New Takes and your favorite social media website. Also, do us a solid and tell your friends about the podcast and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast provider. Both of those things help us find new listeners, which is always exciting for us. Spoiler alert, we're going to be spoiling this episode and might also touch on um, other episodes from within the Star Trek canon, so be warned. And as as Bill mentioned earlier, we're talking about Ad Astra Per Aspera, the second episode of the second season of Strange New Worlds. It first aired on the 22nd of June, 2023, during Pride Month and right before Pride Week, the Pride Parade uh, here in Minneapolis. It was written by Dana Horgan, directed by Valerie Weiss. It's in universe date is 2393.8, which corresponds to 2260 in our current calendar. Here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. Commander Una Shinrali faces court-martial along with possible imprisonment and dishonorable dismissal from Starfleet, and her defense is in the hands of a lawyer who's also a childhood friend with whom she had a terrible falling out. We always start with our strange new takes. Bill, do you have a strange new take for me? I do, I do. So to just briefly touch on some other uh, sci-fi properties. Um, So I think, like... You know, if you're a sci-fi fan, you probably know who Pedro Pascal is. He's the Mandalorian and then the main, uh, well, one of the main characters in Last of Us. And in both of those series, he basically plays the same character. Um, You know, it's like this gruff, older, kind of violent guy who, through circumstance, ends up, you know, uh, in, in care of this kid. And then, you know, slowly but surely, they end up actually bonding and you know, getting along really well. And it's really, you know, it gets you right in the feels. Um, so I actually just watched a movie that I totally missed when it came out in 2018 called Prospect. Um, really cool kind of retro, like analog sci-fi movie and starring Pedro Pascal. So this is pre-Mandalorian, I think. Same character, exact same plot, um, but worked, you know, worked really well. <laughs> I mean, so this is like um, Harrison Ford, who's playing like Indiana Jones, uh, Han Solo, same character, like the president from Air Force One. It's like Harrison Ford. Right, right. But I think even like 
more narrowly defined, you know, I mean, it's this, it's almost the same script every time, you know, <laughs> uh, and he does it well. I'm not, I mean, I, I love all those. I think those are all really good, high quality sci-fi um, properties, but yeah, it's literally like the same character. And then they tried to do the same thing with Obi-Wan. Like that's the same, the same uh, like premise too, right? Where Obi-Wan is like this old soldier guy and then he's has to watch over Princess Leia. But I thought like really didn't work. I <laughs> anyway, I won't get into that. Um, okay, uh, for this episode, um, gee, I, I thought it was great to finally get some real content on number one because uh, she was mostly overlooked last season. But I kind of I, I struggled to suspend disbelief with all the courtroom stuff. That was kind of hard for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, my strange new take is kind of courtroom TV related. And then I'll, I'll jump back into it. I think yours is kind of exactly where I went. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to watch the new season of Law & Order. Like they brought back regular Law & Order this year after like mm. several years off and I don't know if I'm ready to watch it what if it's not as good I can't have it tarnish the memory of Law and Order for me you know it's uh it's too risky but is uh, it all new anyway. cast no no it's they've actually got like Sam Watterson back as like the DA and no stuff. So really it's like, so, so, yeah so it's some some people that you're familiar with some new yeah okay we'll see okay. we'll see if I I'll probably do it one of these days um but I think you're right. I, I, I think my problem with was less suspending disbelief and more being like, wait, are we pro genetic modification now? Uh, <laughs> and and I thought it like yeah, so it got a little complicated for me um, as we as this as the episode unfolded. I was like, uh, I don't know if I can. Like if I, it's like Man in the High Castle, you know, where like the show is trying to make you feel sympathy for American Nazis, and I'm like, no, no, I won't feel like sorry for the, the Nazi character. Like that is not a place I'm going. And all these people on Reddit are like, man, isn't it crazy that you're like feeling feelings for Obergruppenführer John Smith? I'm like, no, I'm not. I he's a Nazi. He wears a swastika. Like I have no feelings for him other than he has to die. Like this is not complicated at all. I don't know who all you people are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, not quite that stark because, you know, Una Chindrali is a fun character and I've really been enjoying her banter with with Cap Pike, but uh, still, anyway. Well, let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. At the beginning of the episode, we basically jump into the thing that you and Emily were discussing last week, which is who does Pike go to look for to, like, be Una's lawyer? And it turns out it's this lady who's a galactic civil rights lawyer and a Illyrian. Yeah. 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 That has some beef with Uno that we don't really understand, at least initially. And I don't think we, I mean, did we really understand it by the end even? Like, we don't see like a flashback with the two of them young. Like, we don't fully understand what the, what exactly happened, right? Because it kind of looks like they were maybe like lovers? slash really close friends like yeah that that so here's my take so i did i was kind of wondering like oh is this romantic or not kind of like when um like nurse chapel and dr mbengo were embracing last episode and i was like what's going oh i hope they don't kiss so <clears throat> it was ambiguous 
for me anyway, that's kind of beside the point. Uh, towards the end, when Una is monologuing, right, about her childhood and how, um, like, they, as an Illyrian, she had to live in hiding. And she says, like, oh, we, you know, had to move away from our neighborhood and we, like, passed as, uh, like, humans, I guess, in the nice neighborhood. And so, the and, like, you know, I left my friends and then they make... I, make eye contact. So, so I guess, you know, she, Nira just feels like, like she was abandoned by uh, Una and maybe that she's kind of a traitor, you know, <clears throat> that was my take on it. So, yeah, so we don't, there's no, yeah. it's, it's just only revealed through that monologue, but I think they can right, describe right, right. basically what happened. I mean, I think this cast is like that they're so like gelling together that like, it's just, there's chemistry everywhere and everybody just, like feels like they should be shipped with everyone else. So maybe, maybe that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so the lawyer, of course, uh, Nira Katul, played by Itide Badaki, who is a Nigerian actress uh, who's also played roles in Criminal Minds and NCIS New Orleans. Did a terrific job on this episode. A lot of gravity added to the character, I thought. And we find out that. It's kind of like creative. She's living on this planet that has like very little oxygen, but the entire population is like genetically modified not to not yeah. to have any trouble. And Pike has to like deal with this crazy mask. Uh, and yeah, he has to he has to overcome her barriers to wanting to be to to not want to represent Una. And he has to basically uh, appeal equal parts to ego and equal parts to like, this could be the platform for making things better for a lot more people than just Una. Yeah. 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 I like the thing with the mask. My only complaint is that that should actually happen like all the time. You know, if they just like cruise up to some random planet and just like beam down and breathe the air, like that should happen like one time in a thousand. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's like the, the the decon scenes in Enterprise, right? Like you would expect there to be foreign parasites, like pathogens, like all sorts of stuff all the time that would require them to basically spend half the voyage in a in quarantine, right? Uh, and like <laughs> foreign atmospheres and all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's here's my question to you, Bill, which is another kind of one that kind of goes to the end of this episode, really, but. So Pike's argument is like, you take this case, you win it, and it could be transformative for the cause of like Illyrians. We know yeah. from my friend Bashir, or whatever that episode in DS9 is called, where Bashir's parents show up and reveal that he was genetically modified. Like nothing changes for 200 years at least. So like- That's a good point. It's kind, I feel like it kind of like, I don't know, if you think too hard, it kind of undermines the message of this episode a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the trouble with being a prequel, I guess, is they're kind of boxed in. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the metaphor just flips, right? So, like, in TOS, you know, uh, 20 years after World War II, I think a lot of the actors and, and writers and cast had probably served in the war. You know, there's like a really fresh memory. Um, so, you know, having, like, the... Khan having the antagonist be a eugenicist was probably pretty intuitive. Um, 
And the metaphor here is totally flipped on its head, which I think is cool. I mean, I think it's cool that they're, they're just experimenting like that and doing things from different angles, um, you know, which is, you know, uh, a metaphor of being, you know, being oppressed. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, having to having to live in hiding. Um, and so here, yeah, they kind of whether, you know, it's OK to be genetically engineered or not. <laughs> the, the, the tone in, in this episode is totally different from from TOS and, and maybe from DS9, too. <clears throat> and and let's let's just say like this is a pretty loud metaphor for trans rights, right? Like they're talking about being trans, like being like there's a lot of people who assume today that you can like very openly tell who is trans and who is not and uh you can't there are a lot of people who are passing really well for you know whatever their like uh gender identity is like you, the, the, this like myth of like you can always tell or whatever is not true but there there's just there's still a lot of fear and especially today with all of the repression and things that's coming down in certain states in this country for sure but you know a lot of other countries all over the world as well uh you just kind of quietly get on with your life without making it obvious and in the 60s and 70s i mean this was true for gay and lesbian people as well still probably true in certain places in this country today for those folks but a lot of places at least gay and lesbian folks now can be a little bit more open about their their sexuality um so to me it was this this yeah. episode was touching on that pretty clearly yeah for sure um i just for think sure. yeah 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 i, mean, I, I just no think that it was like a little uh i think we we're we're both in lagging just a little bit so i'm gonna keep quiet now and then you make your point <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's no coincidence that they talk about passing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you just uh, made me think, you know, this is uh, a rare instance, I think, where uh, modern Star Trek is more nuanced or has more metaphor than the original series. I mean, in the original series, I mean, it's 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 totally flipped on its head. It's kind of the opposite uh, symbolism, but genetic modification is a metaphor for nothing. I mean, it, it just it, it it's about genetic, it's about eugenicism, right? It's about you know being genetically modified. But here, uh, it's a metaphor, and there's you know more layers of, of nuance and meaning. And I I think the only problem I have is with them taking genetic modification as the vehicle because like i don't think we've truly sorted out in our society that genetic modification is like an unambiguously good thing in terms of human beings like i think i'm i'm much more comfortable in, in with gmo in terms of like crop yields and like uh, making food accessible to like people but in terms of like human beings even when it comes to like prevention of deadly diseases and things like that i don't think we've like fully resolved the issue so um I, I don't know this episode might have the potential of like in 50 60 70 years of aging very poorly uh yeah yeah but it um i think it's a it's a totally fair point and but you know here there's i mean i think they they deal with that in a way and add even more complexity because for the 
Illyrians, that's like a defining trait. And I don't, I don't think it's really explained. I don't really understand it, but the Illyrians like are genetically engineered. That's like their culture. So, right. so like if, so by, you know, banning genetically modified people from serving in Starfleet, you're in effect banning all Illyrians. Um, so, you know, when you look at it that way, I think it, it, you know, it, it, it becomes de facto like racist. Yeah. 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 I see. I see the point that you're making there. And I, I wish they had gone into a little bit more of the like ethical debate about like, what if your culture is something that my culture finds offensive? And this is something that we find today in certain religious contexts with homosexuality, yeah. for example, like, yeah. you know, um, and and but I, I can see them try like making there would be too many like too many hot topics in in a single episode so i i can understand why they didn't go there <laughs> but anyway i mean it's it's we've we've i think done a good job so far of talking about the philosophical sides i think what we've ignored is the actual episode <laughs> so far mostly whether it, was, whether it was fun or not uh leading up into the the major courtroom scenes we basically find out who the major players are so like captain battle who's like your typical like i'm the bad guy but i really don't want to be the bad guy and she's like trying to prevent pike from uh from testifying and then there's the like bald vulcan who's like the like ultimate like the judge advocate general who's the ultimate baddie and who like ethan peck spock has like this vile outburst with <laughs> yeah yeah we have our cast of characters <clears throat> um did you did you enjoy the like I, this is the first I, I don't know if you had like kind of like this scene of like two vulcans arguing <laughs> before <laughs> no, yeah, that that was great. That was a gem. Yeah, very uh, witty, I thought. Um, and, you know, f listeners, if you haven't seen the episode, they're not arguing, you know, <laughs> they're just sitting at a table, like speaking with one another. And um, Dr. Mbanga is watching from afar and says, oh, man, those guys are furiously in <laughs> argument with one another. <clears throat> and he turns out to be right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I feel like the scene builds on itself so well because like Ortega's is making fun of them by reading their lines and that's funny and then you hear this thing about like whoa they're actually arguing a lot and that's funny and Ortega's like what and then the spot comes over it's like I'm sorry you had to see that <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's some really good writing uh, really enjoyed it very much um, also I thought that the episode does a great job of like laying out kind of the Chekhov's guns earlier in the episode of like why Una should not testify. So like she's going to implicate herself and also of like why Pike and April shouldn't testify, like what's going to happen to them. So like we, we see things that are like hinted at early in the episode in the writing, like payoff later. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed also just generally speaking again, like, Anytime Anson Mount is in this series, I, I'm just blown away by how good he is as a captain. Like, just the complicated... And, and they don't... And he's not like a Kirk type, like, I will succeed at everything I do. Like, Battle basically takes him to task and, like, puts him in, like, puts him in his place by saying, like, oh, you love giving these speeches, don't you? And it feels like, oh, she's just, like, make, make good-naturedly making fun of him. And then she, like, basically pins him down and says, like, no, your speeches are not going to work in this setting. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, but the what do you think of the 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 courtroom sequences themselves in this in this episode? Like it was very like drumhead esque. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, so I have a couple thoughts, and I'll probably conclude with my my complaint. But um, so um, I think the general idea of um, having Nira uh, kind of engage in these three or four scenes with different witnesses that all kind of tell a piece of the story. Um, but we're kind of unaware of, of how that story will resolve or uh, what the reveal will be. And then in the closing argument, you know, she reveals that it's actually uh, an asylum or, you know, <laughs> application. And, you know, each of these scenes was kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for, for that case. Um, I mean, who, who doesn't like a good reveal, right? And I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't, see it coming, although I usually don't see things like that coming. Um, and I thought it was clever. <clears throat> the individual scenes, I thought, yeah, I thought they were well done. Um, I really liked, um, like I kind of suggested at the beginning, I liked learning more about Una a lot. And I think this was, you know, by far, um, uh, you know, the best character episode for Una. We, we know much more about her after this episode than we did beforehand. So I liked, um, you know, when she was on the stand a lot. Um, but my complaint is that I just, and maybe this is too, too like uptight. Maybe I think most viewers probably don't care about this, but it, like as a courtroom scene, it makes no sense. What? Okay. So what, who is on trial for what here? Okay. I, I think she's like, you know, on trial for lying in her Starfleet application, right? I think, but it's actually not clear. Is she on trial just for like being an Illyrian and existing? Um, okay. But then kind of halfway through, it seems like, oh, maybe this will actually be like a grand jury to indict Pike. <laughs> it's like totally, you know, like totally separate thing. Like you don't, like when you're having like somebody being tried in a case, you can't just like, sprinkle in like some other like defendant and other you know and then in the end we figure out that no it's none of those things it was actually an asylum application which i which i think is like a special yeah. court system it's not you know like it's like it just really makes no sense so i this is real. it's I, i'm being a stickler i know we're supposed to just suspend disbelief and um but it is i, I thought it was pretty silly <clears throat> Yeah, I think they, so I didn't get hung up on the Pike stuff as much because like basically, you know, if you find out that there was a criminal conspiracy during the trial for one person, you can charge another person, right? Like, so that didn't bother me as much. The asylum thing was just, I, I thought it was a little bit of a deus ex machina, which I don't know. It would have been nice to have like some hint that there was something like this that exists. Like maybe if in the a previous episode, they'd shown it kind of as a as a plot point and then they could have like referenced it back. I think it would have been a little bit better than a blind reveal. Um, but yeah, I think, I think your point is generally true that there was, they, they didn't, they didn't structure the court, the court case as well. Um, 
The other thing I think that kind of came off as a little strange to me is I don't buy Robert April as a bigot, you know? Like, and maybe mm. this is because I haven't gone through a world war run by eugenically eugenics modified superhumans. So maybe I just don't like feel the inherent hatred to Una as like, but the fact that he couldn't bring himself to be like, yes, I would have submitted her application to Starfleet anyway, especially when like Nira is like, Hey, look at all these other times you broke the freaking prime directive. <laughs> like, like I, I thought that was really dumb. And I thought like, uh, like it reflected really poorly on Robert April and then him like leaving Pike hanging with the like glass of whiskey, uh, which of course Pike then pours it into his own glass. That was hilarious. But <laughs> it was it was just kind of like, I, I don't know, it, it kind of tarnished April's character for me just a little bit. Um, and I feel like it would have been more powerful if he'd have been like, yep, I would have done it anyway. And... Um, but, but then I guess we wouldn't have got the whole, like, who's on trial here? Is it April or is it, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, yeah but it's... It, it was... The stakes didn't feel as serious to me as, like, Drumhead. Like, in Drumhead, there's a sense of, like... I don't know. It just feels more... Even, even measure of a man it felt more like it was it, it was it, it felt less like a spectacle this trial felt a lot more like a spectacle where you knew what was going to happen at the end rather than kind of like i, I would have wanted a more serious kind of gritty tone to the proceedings uh yeah so 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 that was my kind of minor issue again i'll just say one thing though like i think the writing as a whole though is pretty good like i didn't have major issues there's some really emotional speeches that touched a lot of people online like i've been looking at twitter looking at reddit a lot of people are like super touched by this episode and i mean you, you can't overstate the like timing of like this coming during pride and like this pride where like there's feels like there's so much at stake especially for trans people like i think i think it's a very salient like message to be had so i think maybe some of this is like i don't know maybe we're not the like right audience for this as well in terms of like who is feeling represented and heard by by some of the messages here um so so maybe that's also part of it i think a little bit maybe for two of us yeah yeah no it's a really good point um yeah and i agree i thought the the writing was very good and um powerful yeah so definitely. okay you as a tos enjoyer then the i think it's i think the episode in tos is literally called like court martial right like where kirk is put on court yeah. martial and and he is is tried and this episode borrows a lot of aesthetics and builds on a lot of aesthetics from that episode so I wanted to get your take on that, on like the new dress uniforms, the like weird colorful badges, the like courtroom aesthetic where the witness has to place their hands on the light. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, truthfully, all I can remember is the uniforms and they, they use them more than once. I mean, it's just like the dress uniform. So um, in the, I guess the menagerie, they also use them because that's like a, courtroom setting right when they have the flashbacks to the cage 
um, and you mm -hmm. see Pike mm -hmm. in his beepy, in his, his beepy wheelchair. Um, so yeah, anyway, I think, th you know, these uniforms are, are uh, as, as with all things, strange new worlds, you know, are very classy homage to the updated, you know, homage to the original. The, it, it's kind of funny, the Admiral's uniforms have a lot of similarities to the uniforms of the Mass Effect uniforms, so those giant, like, shoulder pads showing the rank. Um, mm. That, it kind of looks like that to me. I, yeah, I... I'm getting a little bit of uniform fatigue, to be honest with you. I think I think they were really good homage, and I think they did a good job of um, of representing the older ones. I'm just like feeling a little bit like tired of how many different uniform variations Star Trek has at the moment, <laughs> and yeah. I kind of wish that they were just kind of like slow down just a little bit. Like, what do all these new colorful badges mean? I have no idea. Yeah, it's like yeah. do they just wear them in like a legal setting or like what what's the what's the purpose there i don't know but but yeah it was done really well again received incredibly well by the broader truck community in that way so that was nice um and at the end there we find out that all's well that ends well Lunachin riley is going to be given an exception but nothing like starfleet itself is not going to change its rules um i I think Judge Advocate General Vulcan guy Pasak is gonna go off and sulk for a little bit, and what the Vulcan form of sulking is, and then we get these like speeches in the transporter room with like literally a slow clap for Nira before she beams away. Um, but there was, I thought, a moment between Una and Pike that I want to ask your opinion on at the very end there, where they give each other a hug and then it gets a little awkward. Oh. What do you think was behind that? Well, I, I actually didn't get romantic vibes from that one. Um, no, I didn't either. I, I didn't get romantic yeah. vibes. I was just kind of like, I wanted to like take that moment for a minute because they give it a button. They give it a button? So it's it's like they, it's given a moment to like land. It's not like they don't like breeze oh, I past see. Okay. it. Like it's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, so I mean... I, uh, you know, Pike is just being mushy and, and Una is still kind of reserved and, you know, so Pike just gives her like a bear hug and he's, he's not really weeping, but he could almost be, you know, he's very like relieved that things turned out okay and that she's back. So and she's always the moment. one who has trouble expressing her emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I guess it's a little bit. I, I don't know, unusual because the captain is the authority figure and he's the one emoting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I liked it. I, I think they've got an interesting kind of dynamic versus each other and it's going to be it's going to be cool to see what kind of uh, how their dynamic has shifted or stays the same through the season. Um, I'm also curious to see like this Lan with Una I think that's that that bond got a little bit deeper in this episode because it's you know we find out that Lan kind of blames herself, but then in the end it, it she's key to helping Nira figure out that Una revealed herself to Starfleet, which is I guess the one thing we should talk about before we fin we move on to ratings is how did you feel about the idea of like Una basically being like I'm tired of hiding, I'm going to report myself. Yeah, uh, I mean it's kind of tied in 
with the asylum application thing, um, as, at least as it's written in this episode. Um, gee, I'm just thinking back to last season, and it you know, kind of doesn't make sense with the way... I don't know, because in the finale isn't... isn't I, I don't know, I mean... I, yeah, it just seems a little bit like like misdirection. Um, but you know, the idea that I that you know she's just doing it because she's has integrity and just you know doesn't want to hide anymore or whatever. I guess that's consistent with her character. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a moment at which we all kind of get tired of living a double life and we want to have be our whole selves and and. There's also moments where, like, you know, prominent people in the world have chosen to stand up for themselves and say, you know, enough is enough. Like in the civil rights struggle, um, for example, there were people who had to do that to, to basically assert that something was that a law that was oppressing them was wrong and do it by making an example of themselves. So I think I don't think it's like uh, kind of. I, I don't think it's very difficult for me to see why she would have done something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it adds to her the complexity of her character as well. I do wonder if she should have told somebody on her ship. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, hey, Captain, listen, uh, you may be surprised, but in a little bit here, they're going to come and, like, take me away. <laughs> I, I might have done this thing you should be aware of. <laughs> But yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, um, let's let's move into ratings. Let's let's kind of give sum up our thoughts on Ad Astra as as Peria and um, give this episode a strange new rating. Bill, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, sure. Why don't you go first? Okay. So for me, this one is going to be like a seven on ten. I think it's a it's a powerful episode. I think in its message, but. There were a few moments where it just kind of like, I don't think it was as tight a presentation as maybe it could have been. Still, I think like an episode that I have gripes with in Strange New Worlds is still a great episode that I wouldn't mind watching over again. So like no huge problems. It's just like for me an 8, 9, or a 10 is something where there's like something even better, even more. And I, I can see like right now, Emily, I know you're listening to this and you're screaming at me, but like, I'm sorry, I'm at a 7. Like, what can I say? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel basically the same way, uh, so I'm also going to give it a seven. Um, I yeah, my favorite thing was just learning more about Una, who was so real, frankly underutilized um, in season one, um, and I like what we got. Yeah. You know, I think it really helped. Um, you know, add more to her character and help to helps us understand her better and adds more complexity. Um, so I was really happy with that. But I just thought the kind of, as I've already said, the kind of courtroom um, plot and reveal were kind of hokey. And it was really hard for me. It kind of felt like a kid's show or something, you know, <laughs> mm. or it just didn't feel, it felt like a like the Star Trek could do a little bit better. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, agree with what you said also about you know this series just being so great even a, a seven for strange new worlds is you know, still a great episode yeah 100 percent uh speaking of kids shows we should take just a moment right now and talk about the whole 
Star Trek Prodigy thing, which is just bef- has totally befuddled me. But uh, for those of you who haven't been watching the news, uh, Paramount Plus has decided to Paramount has decided to cancel Star Trek Prodigy and take season one off of Paramount Plus and finish season two and then shop both seasons to some other streaming service, which runs contrary to everything that they've been trying to do in terms of um, having all of Star Trek under one roof, making Star Trek like the flagship franchise for Paramount. It's just, yeah, a whole thing. And Bill, what's what's your take on this whole situation? Well, it's a shame. Uh, not totally unexpected. I mean, we know that across the streaming industry, it's just kind of a bloodbath. Um, and, you know, Discovery already got cut. This would probably, you know, if I had to choose the next series to get the X, I guess this would be it. Uh, it's a shame because it's excellent um, as a show. Um, but it also suggests to me, you know, it's really kind of a, an experiment and a strategic play to try to get more young viewers into Star Trek. And I wonder if, um, you know, the data might show that it's really just a handful of uh, hardcore adult fans who watch it and that there really aren't, you know, how, how well, how well is it done with kids? You know, maybe not, maybe it's kind of failed at, at what it was designed to do. <clears throat> That's actually an interesting question. Like, uh, I mean, I don't know, right? Like what the audience is, I, I will say anecdotally, I've seen a lot of people tell me that their kids really enjoy Prodigy a lot and that, there have been more than a few parents that I've seen being like, I'm glad I have a way to introduce my younger child to this thing that I love so much and like bring them into the fold. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I lament the end of something that had kind of that cross-generational appeal um, in that way, especially since like a lot of modern Trek, you got like TNG, you could show kids and it wasn't like, other than that, like weird episode of the garden people and the stupid racist episode. Like there's not a lot in TNG that you'd be like afraid to show a child from like a gore standpoint, you know, or from an action or, or adult themes, quote unquote. And a lot of modern Star Trek, like post Star Trek 2009 does have that kind of stuff. So it's even enterprise, like has has some stuff that i i don't know if i'd show kids so i i lament the loss of the one series that kind of had that and yeah i mean i don't know if you had to make me pick between strange new wars lower decks and prodigy which one i would pick um i but yeah i mean i get it i would have i guess in my mind i would have just maybe made them so that they didn't have seasons. It, like you could take the UK model where you do seasons once every two years or whatever, you know, and don't cancel the show. Just like give us less frequent Star Trek. Um, but that's probably unrealistic because of all the contracts and stuff. I think what's really stupid though is like, okay, you've canceled it, but like selling it, like it doesn't make any sense to me. And I think there's been some news about how Paramount and its current state is probably not going to exist in a few years. Uh, I think some of this news is putting a little too much stock into what like one analyst at one firm like one analyst at one firm wrote this report and like everybody's latched onto it uh but i mean it's no it's it's no surprise paramount is struggling a bit and i i just still though like taking your like one flagship series and like pushing it across different streaming platforms just doesn't make any sense to me 
Yeah, I mean, they, you know, this all started with, um, was it HBO that canceled the Catwoman movie? Yeah. Did, um, that was HBO, right? And so they like made this movie. They made it. <laughs> it's like finished. And they're like, just nope, this is like going in the dustbin. Nobody's ever going to see it. Like we're not, we're not even going to make it available. And I think they do that. I mean, it's an accounting thing, right? Or that I guess they have to pay royalties or, you know, it's just not worth the incremental costs to even yeah. distribute it, which is like pretty abysmal, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. if all the sunk costs are gone, right? You have the content, it's ready to go. And it's like, no, this isn't even worth like, you know, paying royalties or like the incremental costs to, to host it on AWS and like stream it. Um, yeah, but it, but we're seeing actions like that across the streaming industry. Yeah, it's really it's really ridiculous. And like, I mean, I I don't know. I'm not a media watcher, news watcher, news reader enough to tell you like what the streaming landscape is gonna look like a few years from now. I just know that I have no patience to like subscribe to like 10 million different streaming services. I felt like we were in a there was there was a moment there where it was like three or four of the ones that were important. It was like Hulu, Netflix, and like one or two other minor ones. And where it felt like at least there was some choice to be made, which was, but now it just feels like there's a lot of like sign up and then cancel it as soon as you watched all the good stuff that you wanted to watch. So uh, some maturity is gonna need to develop in this arena, of course, but I hope Star Trek doesn't become more of a victim of this. Uh, than it already has. Either way, in in news for Prodigy, it's season one DVD Blu-ray has shot to the top of like different retailers like purchase lists because all the fans went out and decided to buy it before it left Paramount Plus. So uh, for what it's worth, there's also like a save Star Trek Prodigy campaign going on. So maybe something comes out of that. Who knows? Uh, like maybe if the, sec the secondary service that buys the show has like a really strong... It has a very strong showing there. Maybe there's something they can do to revive it in the future. It is an animated show, so you know it doesn't matter how how much older the cast get or whatever. Even like four or five years from now, they could revive it without a lot of problems, I guess. So, anyway, um, well, with that, hey Bill, thanks for spending an hour on Sunday with me talking about Star Trek. Always appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Notch. Yeah, and, and Emily, uh, Rudy, Adam, wherever y'all are, whatever it is y'all doing, I hope y'all are having a great time. Thank you, dear listener, for um, making us a part of your week as well. To appreciate you tuning in. And thank you, Jishnagua, for recording our theme music. Uh, special thanks this week to uh, the Judge Advocate General, Admiral Pasak, for ensuring that he was bald. He was like, look, I'm playing the villain. I can't have the Vulcan bowl cut. It wouldn't be serious enough. People would laugh. So I'm going to be like bald and clearly communicate <laughs> visually that I am the bad guy. Really appreciate it. Really added to the atmosphere. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.